Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. This is Chris. Hope you're doing well. I want to start off today's podcast with a little bit of a reflection. A uh, very well-known coach just passed away in the last few days, even though it's not swimming related. It was uh, John Thompson Jr. And he was extremely successful college basketball coach at Georgetown. Also broke a lot of barriers when it came to him being a black coach in college and bringing in a lot of black players and being able to help push forward progress in that arena. And I thought it was interesting, you're hearing Allen Iverson, you're hearing uh, from a lot of his players like Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, and all of these players talk about how their relationship with this coach was so powerful because it wasn't just about basketball. If anything, basketball is maybe the least thing it was about. Allen Iverson talked about how John Thompson gave him a second chance, third chance, and that they would always talk about things, everything else besides basketball. We obviously do this podcast for you out there to become better equipped for dry land, specifically as swim coaches. And sometimes I honestly feel silly talking about some of these things, like how many sets, how many reps, when at the end of the day, in 10 years after coaching these kids that you're coaching now, it's probably not going to matter that much. Yeah, you don't want them to get injured. You want them to enjoy. You want them to see improvement. But coaching is about so much more than just the programming, what exercises we're doing, these you know dynamic eight variables in the workout. And so every now and then I just kind of feel like, you know, I feel like we're kind of focusing on the wrong things. But don't worry, we're still going to put out stuff about dryland training and we've got a lot of things going on with surge strength but i just wanted to take a moment and have you guys kind of pause and reflect about that what overall arching emphasis do you have as a coach what do you hope your athletes remember about you 10 15 20 years later when they're no longer with you as a coach summer relationship so i'd want you to think about that as we go through this week and just see how maybe you need to adjust if you need to adjust and if you've got that all under control, awesome. That's great. Under Speaking of under control, we have a ton of coaches. We're now over 100 coaches, well over 100 coaches. I don't even know how many countries now we're at, of coaches that have enrolled in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. And actually, our question in Dryland Talk that I'm going to talk about is actually from one of the coaches that's currently in it. He has a great question about what to do with a swimmer after he's done an assessment He still has some questions. He's kind of feeling like, man, you know, is there something I'm missing here? And we lay that out. So that's what's coming up in Dryland Talk. And I thought a good talk for inside the Surge Strength Academy to go with that would be the lesson from the Dryland certification of how athletic and strong should swimmers be. So we'll kind of talk about that in the inside of the academy before we go. And I talk about that case study in the Dryland Talk. And remember, if you are a coach who is in need of a fresh restart on your dryland program, whether you want us to do it with a surge strength program with one of our dryland certified coaches, we deliver it through app, we customize it, head on over to our website, surge-strength.com, fill out 
a quick form. We'll get in touch with a phone call and we could talk more details on it. Or if you want to take your education personally as a coach to the next level, join all those coaches that are enrolled in the Surge Strength Academy. We're going to have people starting to be certified here in the next week or so. I'm hopeful. It's going to be awesome. All the work that these coaches have put in to go through the curriculum to make sure they're understanding dryland. It's really pretty cool. If you want to learn more about that, go to our website, surge-strength.com and slash certification. If you want to go directly there, or if you just go to the homepage, you'll see where to click on. But let's get into the rest of the episode. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. How athletic and strong should swimmers be is the topic that I'm going to be covering in this lesson. And frankly, it's a good question because I can give you 50 different types of assessments and performance tests that you could do. But what I'm trying to do with the Surge Strength Drown certification is continually simplify it so that you're doing what matters most, what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, when it comes to especially the assessment and testing portion. Again, I can give you dozens of them, but at the end, how much does it really help you as a coach or if you're doing a swimmer and self-testing? So the first thing to remember, number one overall, and we've gone over this in previous lessons, is that the movement dictates the success of all other outcomes. So if the athlete can't move well, it frankly doesn't matter how strong or powerful you can get them. And by them not moving well, there's going to constantly be a ceiling of how much they can really improve. So remember, the movement is on the bottom of the pyramid. Then strength is the next category that we care about. And then from there, we can advance the power and the endurance aspects of that. Remember, overall, with our dryland program, our goals are always to be more athletic and stronger when we're looking at how we're developing our swimmers. So keeping that in mind, I want to just quickly remind you, and again, this is a previous lesson as well, of just some of the athleticism qualities that we're looking at. And because these are going to come to pass in terms of the assessments that we do, you're going to actually be able to put a number to them. All right, how are they doing on this? And that way you can quantify, keep track. And the biggest thing is make adjustments and actually have your programming reflect where the athlete is, whether they're really strong in an area or really weak and you need to ramp them up slower. The biggest thing with this being tied to helping swimmers in particular is a lot of these aren't going to look very swimming specific. And that's okay because remember, we're trying to build an athlete. And then when they jump in the water, as a swim coach, now you could put your swim coaching hat on and work on their technique and work on the training and work on the sets that they're doing. But if a non-athlete jumps in the pool, that's always going to be harder to help them be a faster swimmer. So I hope that some of you are, are especially through the first four modules, kind of getting over that everything doesn't have to look swimming specific or mimic swimming for it to end up benefiting swimming. So remember, that's the difference. And also remember, too, for a lot of your athletes, they're like this leaky pail. They have compensations everywhere. They're not moving well. They're weak in this area. And you're trying to put out water <laughs> by, you know, getting a bucket with full of holes and you're, the water's already draining and you're wondering, why are we not getting better? And so the assessment allows us to objectively see where are those energy leaks? Where are those compensations occurring in each athlete? And athletes are going to be very different. And so therefore, the programming should reflect that. But then how do you do that in a group? We're going to get through all that. And you're going to actually see that being applied in the later lessons in this module in particular. Because remember, at the end of the day, we are trying to build better athletes. And those better athletes are going to generate 
faster swimmers. Now, the ideal swimmer's body, which again, we've gone over before, a high strength to body weight mass ratio, a strong core, and for them to be mobile. And the worst thing we want is to get stuck in this injury cycle where it's just never ending, especially for swimmers where they just take some time off and then they get injured again, take some time off, get injured again. What we want is to dry land to stop help or to help stop that cycle. And one of the big reasons dry land can do that is if you harness the assessment and the performance tests and take the data that you're going to see from these tests and then apply it in the programming instead of just programming blind and hoping it's going to just get better because they're sweating a little bit. And remember too, some of the most common causes of injury are poor technique, too much too fast, and imbalances. Well, after doing the movement assessment and performance tests, two out of these three, you're going to have a really good picture of where they're at. So the technique is its own thing, right? You need to learn how to coach the movements, and that's module two, making sure you're going over all those videos and the cues that you need to be giving your athletes. But the too much too fast, that depends on where you start the athlete. So after we go through the perform or the movement assessment and performance test, you're going to know exactly where do I start this athlete. And athlete A may have a different starting point than athlete B, and that's okay, but you as a coach need to know that so you can adjust accordingly. And also for the imbalances, you're going to really see that come in the movement assessments, but then you're going to be able to have solutions to actually deal with it and help your swimmers round out those imbalances so hopefully it's not going to lead to injury. Now remember, strength is the mother of all qualities. We want to continually increase that because that then affects the power and the endurance capabilities that we have. So you're going to see that's reflected a lot in these general athleticism standards. So you have an attached PDF to this lesson that has it, and it's the performance test standards is the whole document. But I just wanted to highlight this bottom section first and go through it one by one. Now, when I put these standards out, I am not saying that a 10-year-old needs to be able to do all of these. Okay, there is kind of a sliding scale of this, but basically how I'm going to quantify this, I'm not going to give you a specific age or a, a number of years that they're swimming, they should have done this. What I'm going to say is basically, if you're trying to have a swimmer make a jump to a higher level of competition, and for the most part, I'm thinking around that sectional futures level, that kind of area, that jump, if you as a coach are working towards that in the water, you should be simultaneously working towards these goals. When a swimmer is able to compete at that level, these athleticism and strength goals are appropriate. So if it's a 14-year-old, you need to be working towards these. Now, once they're basically in high school, all of these apply as well. That's basically like, so obviously not all your high schoolers are going to be going to futures and beyond on that. And that's okay. But once they get into that senior level, that high school age, these standards are going to apply from there on forward. They don't stop even at the senior and the master level swimmers. We have had master swimmers that we've trained online through our surge strength programs into their 70s and beyond. And we still have these standards. It still applies whether you're 70 or whether you're 15. Now, how you approach it and the ramp process in terms of how are you progressing and doing overload and periodization, that may change a little bit based on the age and background. But the standard is the standard, and it applies once they're in high school and before if they're going for those big jump meets. And particularly, I'm thinking that sectional futures level is kind of the cutoff point. So deadlift number one, being able to do one to one and a half times their body weight for multiple reps, so at least two, with good form. 
Now, that may sound like a lot if you're thinking, okay, you know, I got my high school boy here. He's 180 pounds. That's at least 180 pounds, maybe even above 200. In the grand scheme of things, in terms of strength and conditioning and sports in general, that's actually not very good. That's actually, I would probably label that as uh, on the weaker side. And so these standards, I'm not really putting them that lofty. And that's why I think that blanket statement of basically, if your swimmers are in high school, they should be doing that. That's why, because I put the standards at that place. These are not the elite of the elite standards, or else it'd be deadlift of like three and a half times their body weight or something like that. And because the end goal is not for them to be great weightlifters. So frankly, I don't care about the weight that much. I just wanted to get to a general level where as a strength coach, I could say, okay, that's pretty accurate or pretty adequate. And it's going to be able to be applied to any swimmer, no matter what meet they're competing at. So deadlift one and one and a half times their body weight. Squat, same thing. Again, we're looking for multiple reps. I'm not really a fan, especially of the younger kids, of really trying to work for one rep maxes for a number of reasons. So that's why I'm saying at least do multiple reps at that weight. And two is a multiple rep. So if you can get three or four, great. But I'm trying to leave that open-ended because I don't want to push one rep max tests, especially for high schoolers and just not knowing the environment of that. And again, this should be applicable to all swimmers. So I want that to sink in that even your BB level, you know, barely A swimmers, even if they're in high school, they should be working towards that. They may not ever get to futures, that's okay, but you can help them become a greater athlete and that's going to help maximize their potential in the water. Pull-ups, 15 plus for male, 10 plus for female. I know a lot of you coaches are thinking, okay, a lot of my females maybe can't even do one or two pull-ups. That's okay. That's why you're taking this certification so you can understand how to program so that most of your females can be close to double-digit pull-ups. And especially with females, I feel it changes it so much when they know, man, I'm strong. I can do 10 pull-ups in a row. It helps with their confidence just as much as their strength. Push-ups, 50 plus for male in a row, nonstop with good form. So I'm not looking for the super fast because nobody's probably going to be able to do 50 super fast either. I just want slow and controlled movement the whole time and never stopping up at the top or at the bottom for rest. Females, I'm looking for 35 plus on that as well. For the bridge combo, I'm looking that they complete it for that two and a half minute test. And we'll get into that if you're thinking, oh, I don't know what the bridge combo is. That's okay. We're having a whole lesson dedicated to it, but I just wanted to have the overview for this first lesson here. Kneeling rollouts, being able to eight with nose to the ground. You remember that exercise from a previous module, module two. And then the gut punch test, where we've talked about just the idea of being able to have uh, engagement in the core 360 activation and being able to keep that tension while you're breathing and punching. So being able to do one plus minute with that while keeping the tension. So again, this is in one of the PDFs that's attached to this lesson. Go ahead, save those, print them out. You're basically going to be referencing them for all of the lessons in this module. Now, I've grouped these into a movement assessment category and then a performance test. So in the movement assessment, we're basically assessing the quality of the movement. I'm not really concerned about how strong they are necessarily. Now, some of them may have a strength element, but what I'm really concerned about is how well are they moving? What does it look like? Does it look like they're an athletic in this movement. That's more the focus on the movement assessments. On the performance test, I'm looking for actual numbers. Okay, what's the performance that they can 
exert as an athlete, and we're going to actually objectify that in the data and write that down. So that just gives you an idea of how we're breaking them up as we go. What you don't want to get stuck on is continually repeating the assessments or the tests, hoping for improvement. These are not something that you need to necessarily be doing every day by any means, and we're going to go over how often you should actually do these. And even if you don't want to do all of them, which should you definitely do? But just understand the programming in general, if you're doing a good dryland programming and taking all the lessons that we had in the previous modules, putting them together, and then as we go forward in the certification, that's how they're actually going to get better at these assessments and tests. So don't just keep doing the assessment and tests every day, hoping they'll get better. It's the global view that you have to look at your program. So again, the three PDF resources you need to download in this lesson so you can refer to them for the rest is the assessment and testing form. So what that is, is that's where you're actually recording the data for all the movement assessments and the performance tests that you're taking your athletes through. Then there's the movement assessment solutions PDF. What this is going to do is if, if you look through your movement assessment, you see, okay, what, where did the athlete not score as well? That's going to steer you in the direction of what exercise you need to give them individually for them to do in their function part of the workout. So basically before, after practice, as much as they can, and that's what's going to help them improve their quality of movement in whatever they were weak at. Then you also have the performance test standards. I just talked about that. That's where you're going to see those general athleticism standards. And then it's also going to tell you, based on where the athlete tested in their performance tests, what level in terms of the movement categories, if you remember those, level one, two, and three, generally what movement category is that athlete going to be in when you're doing the program. So again, make sure you save, download, have those out for review for all the rest of the lessons because you're going to want them and to be able to reference them as we're going through the lesson. Dryland Talk. All right, so today's Dryland Talk comes from a question that one of the coaches, Paul, in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification sent into me. So he had just finished up module five, which is assessments and testing. And he had a really great question. So good that I thought, A, I need to do it justice by answering it in the podcast, but so all of you can learn as well. But I feel like this is a a pretty common thing, honestly, that Paul's running into. So I wanted to address it because I feel like you guys are going to get some value out of it. So here's the question and background. I'll read it out and then I'll kind of go through the couple steps that I'm thinking through and how I think that uh, Paul could go ahead and work through this. So he says, um, Chris, I have a 13-year-old girl, A to double A level swimmer, swimming four times a week. We started dry land training three times a week when the pandemic started. She's been participating in the dry land program since early April. So he did the testing today that he went over in module five, all the assessments, movement assessments that we have and the performance tests. So he went through that with his team. So he says, as of testing today, she could not do a single push-up. I've been giving her drop-down push-ups. And for those of you that don't know, drop-down push-ups are, you can think of it as like negative push-ups when they start in the top and they just try to lower themselves to the ground as slow as possible. But he says, I've been giving her drop-down push-ups for months now, but seems to lack the control when transferring from a lower body position to the firing of her muscles to push up. Also of note, even after several weeks, months of bat wings, isometric hold with five pound dumbbells and resistance band row, I can't get her to passive hang 
from a pull-up bar without losing her grip. She lacks the strength to do a flexed arm hang. So when you're just hanging above the bar with your chin above it, so elbows are tight to your body there, with body weight. But she can do one and a half inch resistance band assisting her for about eight seconds. So helping her stay up there in that flexed arm hang. Is this a lack of strength, core, and upper body? Could it be shoulder instability? Or what else is going on here? Several others have progressed from a couple of push-ups back in April to 20, even 30 plus. Everybody else seems to be progressing in their pulls, squats, hinge movements too. In her performance test, she was level one across the board. That's out of three levels that we kind of categorize exercises and standards once we have the testing and assessment data. And she had a score of 19. So 24 is the best you can get. 18 is the lowest you can get without any pain. So she's right at the border of of how little you can be. Uh, She scored a one in the overhead squat, the lowest you can score. Single leg balance, single leg squat, also ones as well. Is she just a case study that might take a lot longer to see gains or could something else be going on with her? So Paul, great question and bravo to you on actually implementing this. I'm It's first awesome to see how you're saying all these other kids are seeing big gains from back in April. Kudos to you for saying, hey, the shutdown happened. What can we do about it? You're obviously getting them better. I'm not sure if you're back in the water yet or not, but that's awesome, number one. So congratulations on that. And I hope coaches out here are in that same position where they've seen a lot of gains on land, even if you haven't been in the water or it's been spotty. So the first thing That kind of jumps out is, Paul, you're already on the right track thinking, is it a strength issue, core, upper body? Say yes to all general strength. So one of the interesting things is that one of the best indicators of overall strength, not about pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, anything, just overall combined strength is grip strength. And one of the reasons for that is the body needs to know how to protect itself. And so if you think about something really heavy on the ground, like let's say a 500 pound suitcase, for example. I'm pretty sure no one around here is going to be able to pick up a 500 pound suitcase. So if you were able to get your hand around that and grip it, you obviously couldn't pull it up off the ground because it's 500 pounds. You're not able to lift that up. In the same manner, the body's trying to protect itself because if someone were to just, let's say, hypothetically hand you a 500 pound suitcase, well, if you had the grip strength to hold onto it, but not be able to hold it up, your, your shoulder could literally get pulled out of its socket because you're not able to keep it up. So that's why instinctually the body knows, hey, I'm not strong enough to hold this. And so your grip would actually be lost in a second, less than that, so that you would not be in imminent danger in terms of your arm coming out of your socket because you're not strong enough. So the body is smart in that it protects itself. So The fact that this athlete can't even uh, do a flexed arm hang, she needs a one and a half inch resistance band, which is really thick. Like that's one of the more thicker ones you can get. And even with that, she's hanging about eight seconds. That tells me off the top, she is just incredibly weak from head to toe. So now the question is, well, what do you do about that? Whenever someone is really weak, I always start with the core number one. So we're going to be uh, in the surge strength uh, dryland certification. There's a whole lesson on building up the brace and number of exercises you would do in a row. So Paul, I would go refer back to that. First off, just starting with, can she even hold a bridge 
prone position for 30 seconds. I'd kind of be interested to see what she was on that because that would tell me if she was super weak on that, I know it's a long road. If she's closer to two minutes, although I, I really couldn't picture her being able to do that with some of the other things you described to me, I just think it's definitely going to be a long time. Even the five pound dumbbells, I feel like that might not even be enough because in some ways you need to have enough of a resistance, like as he referenced when he was doing uh, the isometric hold with the bat wings with her. I would go for like 15 pounds and see if she could handle that because you need to make sure you're overloading the system a little bit to really get the nervous system firing. So even if she's really weak, you may think, oh, well, she's really weak. We need to only do five pounds. I would see how high we could get that especially something like that's a relatively safe exercise, like a bat wing, you really can't injure yourself in something like that. It's not like it's an overhead press where we're putting the shoulder in a really uh, dicey situation if you're not careful, if you're not strong, or if you don't have good mobility. Bat wings, it's pretty safe. So I would try to go as heavy as possible on the bat wings. I would build up the core. The other thing just in general to be thinking about is trying to have her do something like this every day, even if she could do it two times a day, because you have to think if her hanging for eight seconds with a one and a half inch resistance band is her max, we need to be doing that as much as possible because she's got a lot of ground to make up. She would have to do that, what, uh, six times in a day, eight times in a day to even get to a minute. So if you think about it in perspective like that, we just have to accumulate a lot of volume. Talking about um, greasing the groove here when it comes to strength. And you can think about that groove, and Paul, you'll know this going through the curriculum, about the nervous system is connected to the motor units and that fires the muscles. So you literally are grooving the patterns or grooving strength because she doesn't have a great amount of motor units firing when the brain says, hey, pull yourself up and hold yourself because she can't even stay up there for eight seconds without a band. So I would think of this as as much as possible, even if she could fit in three times a day sometimes. Now, I'm not saying do three one-hour workouts. I'm saying have her do a flexed arm hang with the band at eight seconds. Can she do that two, three times in a row, twice or three times in a day? Maybe if she has a pull-up bar at home, every time she walks under it, just have her hang. Even if it's just a passive elbow straight hang. The biggest thing that you have to overcome when an athlete is just simply this week is the volume that it's going to take to get her even up to a, a an okay below average level. Now, I feel like you're doing things right. I don't think it's anything, Paul, you are particularly doing wrong with your program because obviously you're seeing a lot of other kids progress. So you shouldn't feel bad about that. You shouldn't make her feel bad about that. You should encourage her, hey, it's okay. We're just starting a little bit behind where everybody else is, and that's okay. But what I would tell her is she really has to own this, and that comes with doing it every day, twice a day, even three times a day if she can. I think that if you did that in a few weeks, maybe it will take a few months, but I would say a few weeks. If she's doing something two times a day, at least one time a day, that's going to start to accumulate and build up. So nothing's really jumping out at me that you're doing anything wrong or going down the wrong path. I just think she's a super weak athlete. And again, with super weak athletes, start with the core, do some weighted exercises like a bat wing, which you're already on the right track, something else that is a relatively safe exercise. See how heavy she can go. Because you also have to think, 
her grip strength, right? I'm assuming just reading between lines that she's probably a smaller uh, girl as well, maybe, or maybe it's the other end. But either way, think about like, if she doesn't even have the grip strength to hang from the bar, well, we kind of got to help her with that. Like how big a dumbbells can we get with the bat wing? So that's what I'm saying. Try 15, try 20 pounds even if she can do something like that. The other thing you could even try with the bat wings is maybe just doing one arm at a time. So maybe she's going to feel a little bit safer with something like that. But those are just some lower level ideas. The big idea is the overall grip strength will come as she gets stronger. So as many times as she can do it in a day, build from the inside out, make sure there's a lot of core brace movements that are associated with this. And it's just about volume. It's about how many times can she groove that neural strength pathway to catch back up to the rest of the group. So Paul, I hope that helps. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to seeing you uh, with your SSDC initials behind your name here in September, along with the rest of the other coaches. Thanks again for the question. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your Dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.